0: Absolutely. The ones that are overlooked always tend to be good quality water, access to water, as well as a good quality hay.
1: Welcome to the Equine Body Talks podcast. We'll be diving into the equine industry from the lens of a body worker, talking to other equine professionals and discussing scenarios around soft tissue work for all equine athletes. I'm Kim Krebs, your host. I've been working for over two decades in this industry as a loper, barn manager and body worker. With the many horses I've worked with in all of these capacities, it has driven me to want to continually find out the why and the hows of equine biomechanics, health and performance. My mentor and one of our industry's leaders, Tina Watkins of In-Hand Equine Therapy will also be sharing hosting duties with me. Tina has been an equestrian her entire life and has dedicated the last 25 years to bringing bodywork forward as a professional career through her business, as well as education and teaching of future and current bodyworkers. This podcast is dedicated to opening the conversation around equine wellness, diving deeper into the whole body approach for equine performance horses. One of the most common questions Tina and I get asked in our practices is about nutrition. We can often feel under our hands tissue that is tacky, hair that is brittle, or see a horse that is showing signs of requiring weight gain or loss, perhaps has been diagnosed with a metabolic issue by the veterinarian or ulcers. When you are working on a horse as a body worker, it becomes apparent that understanding nutrition affects the outcome of how far we can get in our work this is one aspect i've been working with tina on in my mentorship with her over the last few years as she is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to how body workers can feel nutritional imbalances in our sessions so what should we be feeding our equine athletes there are a variety of opinions options and products for us to weigh through a minefield for sure often blurred by marketing, fads, and influence by those around us on what they are currently feeding their own horses. It is very much an important, if not the most important, area we need to concentrate on when we look at overall performance and health. There are many areas within this topic that we will tackle in future episodes, but today we wanted to get to the nitty gritty and the basics of what people need to know to start a nutrition program for their horses. Our guest today is Tanya Minder from Trisana Nutrition. Tanya is an animal nutritionist serving local communities in Alberta. She also uses online networks to reach as many equine and canine enthusiasts across Canada as she can. Graduating with a bachelor's degree in animal sciences, she continued her quest for knowledge at the University of Calgary in veterinary medicine, but due to serious personal health issues, she was unable to finish her studies. This twist of fate solidified her belief in complementary modalities to heal the body from the inside out. Tanya has extensive experience in the field of veterinary medicine, ranging from years of professional schooling to working in various equine industries. This scientific knowledge, combined with her lifelong professional involvement with horses, spanning from performance to breeding, has made her an invaluable resource for the equine community. Tanya has also studied as an equine body worker and founded her company, Trisana Nutrition, in 2018. You'll hear more about her company in our conversation, but the important thing to remember is that while they do sell some herbs to help complement a feeding program, developing a nutritional program does not mean you are buying their products. In fact, that's a main point Tanya will bring up. It's about developing a program that will work for both horse and owner. So join us as we start down the rabbit hole that is nutrition.
2: Well, we're really excited today to have um, Tanya from Trisana Nutrition on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, Tanya. Thank you
0: for having me. I'm really excited to chat with you guys.
2: I think this is gonna be really great for the listeners and we'll also let everybody know that we are planning on doing an owner's course with Tanya in April. But um Tanya, what got you interested in nutrition and, and why did this become your career? Well, just a
0: little bit on my background. It was always a focus and I was interested in it growing up, with having my own horses and needing some specialized feed, but into animal science and really enjoyed the in-depth courses that they provided there and realize how much I guess is overlooked in the day-to-day program. So my passion for horses and my passion for nutrition, I uh, fumbled around a little bit, kind of tried some different career paths and then figured out that the nutrition piece with the education piece is really what helped me.
1: I think the nutrition for sure is something that we get asked a lot about in our practices um in terms of you know what should i be feeding my horse and it's it's such a huge question yeah nutrition
0: has a huge impact on our horses and their performance and day-to-day well-being i think with it being overlooked it was a really easy way for me to give back to the horses that
1: give us so much every day
2: well and it's so true i know chatting with you just a little bit tanya on the phone when we're planning for these things I don't know about you when you go out to barns, but usually, you know, people have a one-stop food protocol. You know, they're going to feed one bagged feed or they're going to fit one mineral in. And I know that you had some really interesting thoughts about, you know, treating every horse as an individual. What do you usually say to clients when they mention that?
0: It is really important to treat each one as an individual. I do find often that people who are feeding of what's popular whether it's for a good reason or not or what their coaches or their friends are feeding my biggest advice would just be even if you're in the same discipline even at the same level as another person at your barn every horse is different so they're all going to have different nutrient requirements there's never going to be a blanket one size fits all kind of thing
1: what is the good baseline to start with because that i think is the biggest problem i find with especially barns that yeah. have so many horses they're trying to feed. As soon as you bring in trying to ask them to do different feed programs for different horses, they're like, no, 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 too much information. What would you, what would you say would be a really good baseline? Like I personally am thinking about obviously having clean water access, having good, good quality hay, having that hay analysis done so you know what's in the hay. And that would be like my absolute bare minimum. What what would you say, like, where would you want to start with a horse's nutrition program? It
0: literally goes right back to hay. So it's important to have a hay analysis done so that you know what you're feeding. 90% of the horses that I actually work with aren't considered being in heavy work. So the hay requirements are often actually enough to meet the requirements for most horses, considering that it if it is a good quality. Not every hay is good quality, and then depending on the workload or the stressors or the environment for those horses, that's kind of where things change. Also age, how easy of a keeper they are, if there's illness or chronic injuries, the list kind of goes on. But absolutely, the ones that are overlooked always tend to be good quality water, access to water, as well as a good quality hay.
1: And when people have a hay analysis done, uh- I think that's also a a sticking point for some people because they're like, well, I get this hay analysis done, but I don't know what it means. I can't read it. Is there something on that hay analysis that you would point out to people as key factors they should look for?
0: Again, it kind of depends on every horse, but you're kind of wanting to look at which lab is doing your hay analysis. Often the hay analysis comes from labs that are formulating for cattle. So some of the values there are actually not available to cattle and not for horses, and they are a little bit different. So that's one big factor. Another big factor is obviously to look at your main levels of protein. If you're feeding more of an alfalfa-based hay, you're going to be looking more for calcium levels as well. And without going into specifically each type of analysis having it in front of me I'm not going to be able to really tell you what to look for but you're just looking for good high levels of those ingredients depending on what you're doing so I know that's not really a straightforward answer but it's not really a straightforward thing that you're looking for on your analysis getting it back
1: yeah so it would be pretty crucial then to have somebody involved such as yourself at Trisana that would then be able to help you read those numbers and, and determine, you know, what your goals are for your horse, what sport your horse is in, how much energy consumption they need, and then be able to work backwards, I guess,
0: a little bit, hey? Absolutely, yeah. I think, I think it does look a little overwhelming because a lot of the abbreviations are on the analysis stuff, so having somebody that knows what they're doing and applying it to your specific horse and situation is really important. And you
2: had mentioned when you were doing some of your descriptions there, you had said some of the stressors that come into play with your horse. That, I think that would be a great thing to go through for listeners. What would some of those stressors be that you would consider would be a factor when you're looking at nutrition?
0: So anything like essentially work is considered a stressor. So your level of work, again, you want to emphasize that considered by the National Research Council, who makes the requirements for horses. They consider heavy work to be some three-day eventers, racing, polo, endurance, riding, that kind of discipline. Moderate work is more like your hunter-jumpers than light trail riding. So I feel like a lot of the time, we think our horses are in more work than they actually are in terms of what they're requiring. Additional stressors are any injuries, any illness, age, so do how many teeth do they have left? How easy to masticate and get that food broken down for their stomach? Are they living inside? Are they out in pastures? Do they have access to good shelter? Are they blanketed? There's lots that comes into play. there.
1: Just another quick question in regards to when we were talking about water, I know we have our water analyzed. I was just came to mind as we were talking, Is that something that we should consider having the water source analyzed for
0: our horses as
1: well? Like you would have your hay analyzed?
0: It it is something that is gaining popularity. To be honest, I myself am not as familiar with water analysis either as I am feed, but it should. It is considered a nutrient. So we are often finding that if everything else in the feed is correct and we're still having some issues, sometimes it's actually the water that's off. So it should be good quality, clean water obviously free of L day the tub should be clean depending on how they're getting it yeah so yes it should be no we probably don't do it as much as we should
2: Well, even just as you're speaking there, I know in some of the barns that I go to, even something simple like the buckets need to be cleaned out twice a week, you know, to ensure that the water that's being put in there is fresh and clean. I love that point that you just made because I think those little things get overlooked, you know, and then maybe the horse isn't taking in the hydration just because the water doesn't taste the way they want it to, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great point. When you are looking at a horse that comes to you, if you had a new client come to you, what kind of help are you able to give to people?
0: My education is in actually formulating feeds and balancing the minerals and proteins and those kinds of things for the horse We set out a whole feed program. So my favorite piece is actually the above and beyond piece like that and the education on what all the people do. So I don't actually sit down and at this point in time, formulate feeds for people. That's kind of more the job of somebody working at a feed mill that can then produce that one. I like looking at the big picture on people's feeding programs, seeing what might be missing, what areas are best, and kind of going from there.
2: Well, that's fantastic. And what are some of the common things that you find people miss in their horses' feed program?
0: Honestly, it's Generally, they are making their feed programs too complicated. Right. So they're feeding 10 different things when they really only need to be feeding two. And then along with that, I find that what they're, they're feeding, is generally under. So the hay is usually pretty good. A lot of people have moved to free-access hay, whether that's in hay nets the flow feeders or however they're providing that. But I'm finding a lot of people are giving a scoop of this and a scoop of that and a scoop of this, and they're not weighing their feeds, which is really important. And then they're actually underdosing all those minerals and all the goodness that would come from this. That's probably the biggest thing that I see consistently.
1: And then what's the point of making, feeding that if you're not going to get the benefit, the horse isn't going to get the benefit. You're you're almost just wasting. And especially like you said, if if they're feeding 10 different things, because it's the yeah. of the day. Um, and so it's just money down the drain. So it, it makes so much sense to be able to, have the proper analysis done and then work with somebody that can really make it simple for you because I think that is what I find with a lot of people is they're just scared of how complicated it can be and so they just keep falling back on oh well this is what we've always done
0: exactly and it's easy to like some mentor that you trust and you follow or your trainer it's easy to just listen to what they feel or what they believe in apply that to your own which is not often appropriate
2: and when you were speaking about the weight, um, not measuring the food, so when, you, so when we're looking at labels and everything that's on the outside of the label, that's a per pound amount, like you had just said. How do you guys, when you're formulating that, how do you decide on how much we have to feed? Because sometimes it's quite a lot of bulk when you look at some of the amounts of those feeds.
0: Yeah, it is done by percentage of ingredients. So some of the foods will have a higher fiber content is usually what the bulk comes from then, and that's going to increase the amount that you're giving. The vitamin and mineral levels are still going to be the same in a higher fiber feed, but you just have to feed the the higher fiber will be closer to 10 pounds of food versus maybe a performance one that has the same level of minerals in four pounds. So really it is uh, based on the digestibility of the ingredients that are included in the food. Yeah,
2: that's a super point. Because I know sometimes people look at the tag itself and they think, oh man, I don't want to feed more than a scoop. So they're just, you know, they just put that general, you know, the green scoop that we all buy yeah. at the feed store. Like, <laughs> it seems like every barn has that green scoop and that's yeah. what everybody's getting, right? So it, how, like, it, it would be essential then for you to be able to measure that food and really know what you're supposed to be feeding. Absolutely. And if there's too, if it's too much, like it's making the horse uh, too heavy or too fat, do you then suggest to people that they're on the wrong food or do they need to feed less, but then supplement with something? How do, how do people understand that?
0: It really depends on the person and the feed program that they have available to them as well. So some people can't feed their horses twice a day. Some people can feed three times a day. So that has a big factor in what we end up recommending. Generally, it means switching on to a different food if you're not going to feed the recommended amount every day. It means switching to something else so that they can still get their vitamins and their minerals and their amino acids that they require if you can't feed the required amount basically yeah
1: and maybe one of the things we can chat a little bit about because my understanding and i could be off base on this so please correct me if i'm wrong but is that the feed equine feed is very similar to equine bodywork in that it's not necessarily regulated in terms of what can be put out there for supplements so what what are the legalities or what is it that supplement companies have to follow or do they have to follow any regulations? Correct. That's
0: a really great question and a bit of a sore spot in a lot of people's opinion, probably the same way as it is with body workers that put in the work and at the SDG. It is not regulated per se. There's a voluntary program called Veterinary Health Products, the VAE. That's a Health Canada government regulated program, but it's voluntary. So you can submit your supplements to that program. And then they have guidelines and regulations that you have to follow based on what you can put on the label, what kind of claims you can make that the supplements can make. They have to be science-backed. So they can't be what Joe from the barn next door says that it does. It has to be science-backed. On that one. It's a really great program. It kind of just came into effect last April. This new VAT, they had like a trial program before that. These restrictions are a little bit tougher when you're importing. Those supplements do have to be regulated by that or else you just can't import it. So that has been put into place just fairly recently.
1: And I guess one point we'll make because we do have a lot of international listeners. So we're specifically talking about Canadian regulations right now. Um, Correct. So that every country will have their own, for sure. And
2: is there is there a little sticker or something for that new program, like that that the feed companies that are using it, that that the listeners could watch for on their
0: feeds? Yeah, absolutely. So when you have an approved supplement, you get what's called an NN number. So there will be a number on the label, and it has to be on the label as per regulation, and it'll be like NN and then a bunch of letters and numbers attached to that. So that that certifies that it has been granted that certification.
1: Yeah, something everyone can look for if it's right on the front of the label. Yeah, well, it has to be somewhere
0: on the label. It can be front or back, but it has to be on the bag.
1: Yeah, and I think that just sort of, uh, in my mind, especially if it's a voluntary program, that means that those companies are willing to take the extra step to ensure that there has been some work done on their supplements, and they're they're wanting to You know make it better regulations in in the long term for
0: sure absolutely and you actually have to pay for the program now so it is an extra step that would prohibit people that don't really value the science behind the products from registering so
1: right
2: yeah that's super that'll take us right into our next question which is advertising i mean you know, any horse magazine you open, if you're, you know, the social media, you see all this advertising on different things. And this is the new whiz bang thing that's going to help your horse out. And I think you alluded to it earlier, Tanya, but when people see all of this, you know, and and if they're coming to yourself as a nutritionalist, or to us, you know, for body workers, and and we're trying to, you know, make sure that they go to see a nutritionalist, How do you guys keep up with all of the changing things and and what people are doing? Because it it really does seem like this is the new thing that's going to fix everything.
0: I mean, for myself, it has to be science-based. I can credit my education for that. And I do. That's also kind of why I'm in this profession, because there is so much misleading information out there. So basically I think looking at some key factors, like do they have an NN number? Who is, when you're looking at feeds, who's formulating the feeds? Do they have an education? Are they a master's or a PhD that is working for this company to formulate those feeds? Advertising, unless you have that NN number, can be whatever you want to say on that label. So it is really a word of caution to, listen to everything that the label is actually saying, the claiming that it can do.
1: It's important to be able to see uh, testimonies to the feeds, but I guess also being cognizant of a lot of those companies may also sponsor some of those individuals. And so, you know, you have to weigh a little bit of what is it that you're really reading. And like you say, the best way is to ensure that it's it's backed by science um, and that they've gone through the extra step with the testing. So that then then you can look at what those testimonies have to say and and give them
0: a little bit more credence. I think at the end of the day, it's buyer beware, unfortunately, because of the lack of regulation. And then just doing your own due diligence of the science behind the product. Right.
2: And then just with your point there of buyer beware, is there stuff that can get hidden in feeds that maybe, you know, horse owners should really be watching for? Maybe it is on the label, but it's under a word that, You know, us, you know, regular folks aren't really recognizing what that word is. Or is there like maybe a top two or a top three that you're like, okay, just whatever feed you look at, stay away from this or that.
0: I personally don't love corn-based feeds. There's a lot of start and not a lot of payoff with those. That's kind of just a personal opinion. I think it can work in some situations without really going down the rabbit hole with it, because that could be a long question. Is there's Foods that have grain byproducts or ingredients listed that are like, yeah, grain product is probably the best one. That means that that formula is actually not a fake formula and can be made up of any sort of grain that is just uh, most available and maybe the cheapest at that time. So your makeup will actually change, even though it can meet your minimum requirements that's on the label. That's probably the biggest one that I would mention.
2: And I think that's a point, maybe, that I'd ask you to expand on because I think for us, we hear that quite a bit. But that word that you just said, fixed formula, I think that's a really big thing because I don't think most horse owners know that the feed companies can bring in uh, different levels of different ingredients as long as they're keeping that same percentages. And that feed can be changing a lot from batch to batch. Can you talk just a little? little bit about the importance of realizing what if your feed is a fixed formula or not
0: so I think you extend it perfectly there. A lot of the guaranteed analysis is based on minimum so minimum thirteen percent protein or values like that so basically you can make the thirteen percent protein by having quite a bit more let's say corn over soybean if you're going to use that and its When you have a variable feed, so again, that's listing things like grain byproducts or grain products even, when it's not listing the specific grain, that's where you can have fluctuating values of each ingredient. We're always taught that you should be changing their diet slowly. So by changing the ingredients in each feed, each lot can actually be quite a bit different from other lots. So let's say you have two bags from two different lots, you can actually be feeding quite a different diet from one bag to the other, which in very sensitive horses can cause a little bit of a problem. So there are companies out there that provide what's called a fixed um, ingredient list. So they are providing only the ingredients when they list the whole ingredients on the label versus somebody that is listing the grain byproducts in the label.
2: Yeah. And I think that's just a key point because I, I would bet that over half the listeners don't even realize that that's a possibility. You know, they think that they're buying whatever the name brand is and they get the same bag each time and they're getting the same feed each time. and And lots of times they can really be getting a totally different, I mean, same percentages, but a totally
0: different ingredient list. Yeah. With a feeding ingredient list, you're actually getting the same ingredients at the same percentages every time that you're feeding versus a variable, you might be getting some completely new ingredients that weren't actually even in the last batch.
2: Yeah, so important for listeners to know about that so one of the things that I'm really interested when we do our continued teaching with you, Tanya, is to teach some people about what they could look at their horse and you know get some assessment techniques when it comes to looking at nutrition. Could you just give us a little bit of a rundown? I know we're going to go more in depth with it when we get to pick your brain for the entire day, but could you give us a little bit of a rundown on what people could be looking at as an assessment for their horse?
0: yeah this one's pretty broad but since nutrition affects so much of the body it can be anything from dull coats to really long guard hairs showing that there's a deficiency bowel movements are very important to look at so that could be hard poop or it could be soft diarrhea as well as seeing what's in that poop so the poop actually tells us a lot about what's going on in terms of digestion also just easy things like loss of weight or gain, weight gain, not being consistent when you're feeding the same thing. That's another good one. Also, one of the ones that I run into often is soft tissue injuries and uh, lack of recovery. And if those are very common, that often is also a good sign that there's something missing or just something off in the diet.
1: I love that point that you made that it's not always even necessarily the appearance, but if your horse is consistently having soft t- tissue, injuries or damage done to it everything starts that was one of the key points we had with dr hewlett when we talked about the si pod that we did is what's happening on the outside is just a reflection of what's happening on the inside so you really need to start at the gut in order to build your horse
0: yes absolutely I believe that the gut is the horse's immune system, the base of the horse's immune system, and everything goes out from there. So if the gut is not feeling good, you cannot be getting any nutrients in the horse, which really does reflect outwards.
2: Yeah, and I I love that point, too, when you said about recovery, because oftentimes, you know, people just look, oh, he's holding good weight, his food is fine. But if you know, you have that next day soreness, every time you have a lesson, if you have the problems uh, recovering from those hard lessons, or the two or three days at the horse show, you know, oftentimes, they people think that that's just a problem with their conditioning, but it could easily be metabolic. Absolutely. There
0: can be so many causes for that. Depending on the specific horse, it could be as simple as not getting enough protein for the recovery of those muscles, but it it can be a whole list of minerals and vitamins that they're not getting.
2: And then to expand on your point about the gut, I mean, we, there's a couple of questions I want to ask here, but one of the big ones that everybody is on to all the time, and it's such a prevalent thing for us as body workers, is, is ulcers. Is there anything that you, know, you watch for in feeds or processed feeds that maybe could fur on or, or continue a horse with problems in the gut?
0: Ulcers is a big question. But basically, an easy answer is uh, a lot of starch. The starch will and sugars will affect the integrity of the stomach lining, allowing that acid to splash up and actually cause ulcers. But then, if you're also feeding enough starch that the horse is not needing and not having time to digest in time, it reaches that hind gut as well and can cause hind gut acidosis or an imbalance of the bacteria back there, also leading more digestive issues. So starch would be the biggest one. And I'm not saying starch is bad. You do need it for those glycogen replenishment of muscles. I think that is the biggest single ingredient that you can look for in that will have an effect on ulcers.
2: Yeah, that's a great point. And and what could starch be hidden under on the label? So some pe- some people might be hearing you say starch. Oh yeah, okay. But what what are people looking for when when they're looking to see how much starch is in their food?
0: Honestly, most of the time it is actually listed as starch. There's also this sugar element on the labels. Most of the time it'll be as a non-structural carbohydrates. So NSE can also be an abbreviation used. But those are the three most common. So when you're looking at total non-structural carbohydrates, you're actually adding up the sugars and the starches for that whole value.
2: And because the horse ferments, can you describe that even just briefly for listeners, why we want to have fiber going through that horse all the time?
0: Those structural carbohydrates, which is the opposite of the starches and the sugars that we just talked about, are traveling to the hindgut of the horse, and that's for in the large intestine and the cecum, where the stuff ferments, that creates what's called VFA, so volatile fatty acids. That's where the energy comes from, from the long fibers and the fiber that passes it to the hind duct. So that stuff is really important to have to keep that whole hind end population really happy and that bacteria balanced and ulcer free.
1: I just want to touch as well for people to have an understanding of how the food actually works through the horse's digestive tract, because I think they either try to relate it to themselves and and how food is processed, or they think of it in regards to cattle, and how which is completely different. If you don't mind, just yeah. us through, like when a horse actually starts the process of picking up the hay or picking up the grass from pasture, um, and and starts the mastication process. How does that then from there start down into the esophagus
0: and then um, through into the stomach? Keeping it very basic is if the horse is eating hay or grass, they will use their flat teeth to grind things and start the digestion process actually in the mouth already. That's where, going back to the ulcer question, it's important that they're constantly eating because that actually also produces all that saliva, which is basic to help that stomach settle its pH to keep it from causing ulcers. So it goes from the mouth, it's already started to being digested in the mouth down into the stomach, where the acid actually helps break down some of the bonds and mineral bonds that are created in the foods. The small intestine is important for your mineral absorption, all your first type um, amino acid absorption, that kind of digestion occurs there. And it travels through into the large intestine, where, as I said before, that's where the fermentation starts to happen and then the cecum and that's where you get your bulk of products in the horse. So that is different than in the human because we don't have that fermentation chamber um, in our digestive system like they do.
1: And I think people would be really surprised too, because I know I was when I first heard this, I had a mare that had severe ulcers and so obviously really dove into some nutrition aspects with her, but it was... How long the food actually stays in the stomach before it then passes into the small intestine? It's not very long at all. And then I think that's what you had made a point already in regards to if a horse is eating that that food is processed too quickly through there, or they get too much starches and whatnot in one feeding, then it gets pushed through into the hind gut and is fermented when it actually still hasn't even finished fully being broken down. And so then the nutrition is lost and then you start to get a ton of of
0: problems. It is absolutely crucial that that you don't, your stomach is so small that you can't feed too high of a a concentrate at one time, but it doesn't pass um, just through there without getting broken down because that is a very crucial step to breaking down the food. So each point in the digestive system has a very specific task in uh, digesting your food. So the acid in the stomach definitely needs to touch each particle before it's being pushed through into the small intestine and further back.
2: Yeah, and I, that's a great point. I mean, we learned that even just in Pony Club, the feed little and often. But then yeah. at a lot of barns, you know, they, they're doing the two feeds a day and there you see them with these you know, half a gallon bucket full of stuff and dumping it into the horse, um, right? So, you know, we're uh, causing a detriment to be able to feed that much bulk of concentrates at once. So hydration, Tanya, often gets forgotten, and we talked just a little bit about it already. But in the nutrition program, like how do you evaluate how hydrated the horse is? Or is there something that you know, we need to be looking at if we're feeding something that they need to have more hydration with different types of food? Yeah, that is a great
0: question because I do think hydration often gets overlooked. Water is considered one of their most vital minerals and actually is probably the most vital mineral. With a deficiency in water, a horse will die faster than a deficiency in every other um, type of mineral. So it is a very important and often overlooked part of your feeding program. In terms of things to look for and how hydration-wise your horse is doing, stemming a little bit from the veterinary world, Mm -hmm. you can definitely take a look at the gums and see how tacky they are. They should be tacky. If they're dry, that means they could be a little bit dehydrated. The capillary refill time, one to two seconds is normal. Anything slower than that is obviously something that you should look at your water for. And then you also, again, looking at your horse's poop. So, seeing if it's really hard and dry, chances are they're not getting enough water. Things that take the most amount of water to digest it are things that are just basically dry. So, hay is actually takes a very uh, large amount of water. I think it's somewhere around two liters of water per one pound of hay. So, it's an, like an astronomical amount of water that just regular digest, digestion takes for horses. Protein. Something like that will also increase the amount of water that's needed. And then again, when you're feeding higher levels of starches or sugars, it's going to draw more water from the body into the blood to try and balance everything and then uh, lead to more urine, basically.
2: Yeah, that's super. And I don't think people really think about it. They we think about watering like beet pulp and things like that. But just as you were talking and you were saying dryness, the pelleted feeds that we feed when they're extruded and cooked so much, did they take more hydration for the the horse to break those down when they've been cooked and, you know, pressure packed?
0: They would. Yeah. So that because basically it's a lot of product in a small kibble. So expand that in the stomach or as it's passing through the digestive system the body needs to draw more water into that intestine to uh, break that up so absolutely any type of concentrate feed will also take more water to break up and at what point
1: should people maybe consider giving their horses electrolytes for instance if they feel their horse is dehydrated i often think about the electrolytes if they are you know, in a heavy work, they've been at a show, that's the times that I would think about giving them, but not necessarily monitoring them on a daily basis. And maybe, maybe that would be more beneficial.
0: I'm a huge fan of electrolytes. So I'm glad you asked that question. Just going back to the last thing we just talked about with how much water, just even hay takes to break down. In the winter, for example, on those cold days, horses are going to be eating more to keep warm. So they're going to be actually eating even more hay than normal which means their bodies are going to require more water than normal so to increase their thirst a little bit of salt even in their diet or whatever electrolyte brand that you trust that will replace the minerals is a really good idea but i'm a huge fan of feeding electrolytes not only because we working heavy sweating horses but also in the winter especially during those really cold snaps we get here
1: that's a super point too in terms of how much they need just to stay warm that they're eating more yeah, yeah. I think that one
0: often gets overlooked because electrolytes are so bound to people with heavy workouts and competition horses, but yeah. really a lot of other horses and seniors, for example, can use just a little bit of boost so that they go seeking that water a little bit more and to, anything to prevent that extra colic risk. Yeah, yeah.
2: totally. I think um, the last point we'd love to ask about is the buzzword right now is bioavailability. You know, you hear it everywhere. And I even saw an ad the other day and it said, guaranteed 100% bioavailable. And I thought, oh, really? (laughs) So could you explain to us what bioavailability is and why right now everybody
0: seems to be talking about it? Yeah, that's another really great question. So bioavailability means basically what's available to the horse at the end of the day in your feed. So you're never going to, in my opinion, get 100% bioavailability from what goes into the mouth and what comes out the other end. But basically the bioavailability term just means what's available in the feed that you're feeding to your horse that can be utilized by your horse. There's two basic groups of minerals and vitamins that you kind of look at inorganic and organic and organic isn't really in the sense that we're the other buzzword at the moment with the way it's grown and the regulations behind it. But an inorganic is basically raw, which is is a chemical composition of no carbon bound. So that's talking about the little makeup of your food organic. Which would mean it's bound to an organic mineral, often called uh, chelates or proteinates Um, on labels. That means that whatever we're talking about is bound naturally to something else. So, in grass, uh, when the horses are out on pasture, things are organically bound in the grass and very bioavailable to a horse. When they're inorganically bound, that's often done in a lab, which means that it's binding two molecules together so that it's. Stable enough to give in feed. When they're inorganically bound, that really decreases their bioavailability. Basically, when you're looking at organic ingredients, you are getting the most accessible food, but that often comes with a really high price tag as well. And again, I'm not saying organically grown, saying organic in terms of what it's bound for on a mineral level. Yeah, without going too much into the science behind that, the organic finding protects. Whatever mineral that we're talking about from the stomach, like we had spoken about, being digested too early and then mixing with something else, as we know that minerals sometimes interact and it allows it to be available for it, the part of the body that is meant to digest it.
1: If somebody was wanting to come and have Trisana involved in their horse's nutrition plan, what would that look like for them? Do they give you guys a call? Do they? Is it a farm visit? What is it that you guys? How do you do that? Because we don't
0: we don't formulate feeds based per se for individual horses, it can all be done electronically. So often I talk to them on the phone, sometimes Zoom calls, most times through emails because we can get very long in particular about what the specific horse needs or wants. But that's basically the best way, is usually it's all electronic. I hardly ever go out to a farm. If I do, sometimes then That's when I'm looking at like the uh, hay analysis and that kind of more of a consultation versus looking at more of the broad nutrition aspect of that horse.
2: And does Trisana work with a specific feed company then, or how do you help people once you've done the
0: analysis? No, um, that's actually one of the things that I really liked about working for myself is that I don't have to be bound with specific feed companies so that I can really base my considerations and recommendations on the science behind the product so it really depends on what the the horses need but we have a lineup of herbs and some ingredients single ingredients as well often I don't even recommend out of our own products. that's just what we had brought in because we couldn't find it elsewhere Um, often I will look at what's available and recommend the best for that horse
2: yeah that's super Yeah. yeah So Tanya, we're pretty excited to have you back for our owner's course in April. We are looking at uh, being able to give expanded information uh, on uh, what people are looking for in feeds and specifically as well, how to read labels. Cause I know that's something that I get asked about all the time. And it's very frustrating for people to try to understand what's in the feed. So, you know, not to give everything away for our owner's course, that will be a, a two-hour course, so people will get a lot out of that. But uh, do you have any, any thoughts or tips and tricks for people just briefly on, on the dreaded label?
0: I think the label is really confusing. There's lots of abbreviations, lots of scientific names basically as organic as you can get the ingredients and again not how it's grown, but whole ingredients generally is more bioavailable to the horse and is going to be a better product for your horse. There's so much variety out there. So I'm looking forward to breaking down the labels with everybody and seeing how we can look at labels without brand names and seeing which one's the best for your horse in your situation.
1: Yeah, I think that's super yeah, it's going to be a great evening Yeah, that I think everyone will get a huge amount out of. Yeah,
2: yeah. Nutrition is just so, it's so confusing. And then, like you say, it, it really does need to be basic. But I think just there's so many options out there for people. And it's just, it's overwhelming, really, honestly. You walk into the yeah.
0: feed store and it's just overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, and- there's so many products that claim to do the same thing, but are slightly different. And yeah, there's a lot of choice out there.
1: Yeah, super. Well, we're
2: really looking forward to you coming on the owner's course with us. And I think people will get a ton out of it. And then for those that are professionals in the industry, look for our fall full pod because Tanya, along with Dr. Sarah Peterson, are going to present a full day nutrition breakdown for professionals in the industry looking at the nutrition from not only a body worker aspect, but what it's doing to the tissue and how that's going to affect the tissue that you're working on, as well as the condition of the horse. So that's going
0: to be pretty fun. We're looking forward to that, Tanya. That's going to be really exciting because I get to spend a whole day talking to you guys about nutrition, which is awesome. Thank you.
1: (laughs) Thank you very much. We really appreciate it. That was great information and I'm sure many of you have even more questions after hearing that conversation. I know we could have talked for hours. As Tina has mentioned, we will be hosting Tanya on April 16th for our next owner's course. This will be a webinar and recorded, so no matter where you are living, you can register for the course and be able to listen to it at any point. For body workers interested in taking a deeper dive into nutrition, we will be hosting our second continuing ed pod in the fall with both Tanya and Dr. Sarah Peterson on the topic of nutrition. It will be an immersion led by Tanya Minder, Dr. Sarah Peterson, and Tina Watkins. Held in the same format as our pods with a full day of study, followed a few weeks later by half a day of furthering the topic with Tina, after participants have had time to apply their learnings and then a final discussion evening, two weeks after that, to go through areas participants have found challenges in. These pods of continuing education have been so well received, and this one on nutrition has been one that people have been asking for for a while, so we are thrilled to be able to bring this to the table. There will be more information to come on this as we continue our planning, but be sure to contact us at office at inhandtherapy.com or watch our social media platforms if you're wanting to join. Thanks once again to Tanya for joining us, and thank you to you all for opening the conversation around equine wellness. Thank you for listening to this episode. We appreciate each rating and review you can give to help grow this podcast. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook under Equine Body Talks, or connect with us by email at equinebodytalks at gmail.com. To learn more about courses by In Hand Equine Therapy, please follow them on Instagram and Facebook as well, and their online course platform at inhandequinetherapy.podia.com. Remember to always be an advocate for your horse, and not be afraid to open the conversation around your horse's wellness team.